I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. This week we have two guests from Schneider Electric, so Khaled Fakuri and Mike Duclift. Khaled is Senior Vice President of Marketing and Strategy Innovation at Schneider Electric, where he also is leading the strategy marketing effort for Innovation at the Edge, which we talk about exactly what that means. It includes their their venture fund, joint ventures, and a few other really exciting things. Um, Mike Ducliff, Senior Vice President and Head of the Electric Mobility Division at Schneider Electric, where he leads a t- global team of R&D, commercial, and support function professionals and collaborates with an ecosystem of innovative partners throughout the world. So, and his focus is on accelerating electric vehicle adoption and the decarbonization of transportation by creating safe, reliable, and efficient EV charging solutions. So if you're not familiar, large company, big well-known brand often it's a multinational billion dollar company and the leader in the digital transformation transformation of energy management and automation automation across homes buildings data centers infrastructure and industry so we get into it in pretty good detail here with background in the company and their roles and um, kind of exactly how they're thinking about things which, which i think is somewhat uh, definitely interesting somewhat unique as well um so I, I don't need to give too much of a preamble, I don't think. I'd, yeah, fun, fun discussion here, cool cool perspective from um, Kyle and Mike. So I'll leave it here. Please enjoy this conversation with Khaled Fakuri and Mike Ducliffe. Today I'm joined by two special guests here. We have Khaled Fakuri and Mike Ducliffe. Khaled, Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Brendan. Yeah, fun, uh, fun topic and discussion here. I've Khaled, do you mind kicking us off um, introducing Schneider Electric and, and some of the work you're doing? Sure. Uh, well, maybe a, a bit about myself. So my official title in Schneider Electric is a Senior Vice President for Strategy and Marketing for part of the business that we called Innovation at the Edge. Before explaining this, uh, maybe so what what is schneider electric uh, is is uh, a lot of people know is is a global leader in energy management and industrial automation 
uh, we uh, are a leader in the transformation of, uh, of these two functions, mainly in the uh, homes, buildings, data centers, and uh, infrastructure across multiple industries. The part of the business that I am in is, is innovation at the edge, which is our uh, uh, outside of the core, bringing innovations, whether they're internally or external to Schneider Electric. And that will lead into our discussion on e-mobility. But it's basically made up of uh, four main pillars. One is our SE Ventures, Investment Partnership and Incubation. The other one is uh, our uh, Joint Ventures for Energy as a Service, Alpha Structure and Green Structure, and then uh, the prosumer and the e-mobility businesses. Great. Thank, thank you. I think that's a, a great uh, overview to kick, kick us off. And Mike, uh, would you mind talk, talking a bit about your specific role in this picture? Sure, Brendan. I'm leading what we call our electric mobility division at Schneider, which means I have the global accountability for our uh, electric mobility strategy, our offer innovation, and of course, our financial performance. Now at Schneider, we actually began investing over 10 years ago in various technologies, AC charging, DC charging, uh, wireless charging as well, different segments, uh, residential buildings in transit, uh, highway charging. We invested in several different geographies. So that's Europe, international, uh, the US, North America, as well as different business models. You can say that we've been around uh, uh, for over 10 years and really been uh, spending our time, you know, testing the various uh, uh, aspects of e-mobility. So we're, we're quite experienced until now. And how, can you guys talk about, like, how do you think about, uh, or how did Schneider Electric think about how to get into this evolving area? So e-mobility, technology, innovation, right? We have sustainability, we have various ways in which mobility and energy are evolving. And like just about any big established company out there is thinking about, hey, what's our future look like? How can we play a role in this? And there's a lot of different paths that can be paved. Can, can you speak about kind of what, how did innovation at the edge come out of this? And um, what, what did you learn through that process of thinking about how Schneider Electric wants to play in this future? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take uh, that one. So as, as I mentioned, uh, innovation in large corporations is usually something that is dealt with in different uh, ways. And there is the core innovation that's happening within the different uh, businesses, but then there is innovation that's happening externally. Uh, and this is where SE Ventures is, is really the arm where we, uh, it's, a, it's a corporate venture capital fund that uh, is created uh, with partnership uh, with Schneider Electric. It's based in, in California and it works with entrepreneurs uh, around the world, but with a lot of focus also on the US based on the geography where, we, uh, where it's based. And, and it, it provides capital to big ideas. E-mobility is one of them. And we can go through some examples of investments we made in this space. Uh, but it, it provides that uh, capital to big ideas, bold entrepreneurs who can benefit from our deep knowledge, deep domain expertise, uh, our R&D assets, but also our global customer base. Uh, and the team is focused uh, on, on building these strong relationships with, uh, with the entrepreneurs to advise, invest, and act as uh, accelerants for uh, the high potential startups. Uh, we, we've celebrated uh, the fifth year anniversary of our first fund, which was 500 million uh, euro. 
Uh, and we launched the second uh, fund uh, three weeks ago in, in, uh, in San Francisco. So we now have uh, over a billion euro of uh, committed capital for the SE ventures. Uh, just a couple of examples of companies that are now uh, part of the investment portfolio or have been in the past is uh, uh, QMerit uh, as one of them, uh, EIQ Mobility, uh, Proterra are just to name few, uh, but they don't own, we don't only invest in, in e-mobility or electric uh, vehicle uh, space, but these are the ones that are in that uh, space. And what, what's the um, goal here, right? So, I mean, there's, there's a wide range of venture funds out there, including corporate funds. And uh, obviously the, the goals could be, hey, make an impact. It could be get a profit. It could be, you know, strategically look for areas to, to grow and expand the capabilities of the organization in a way that you probably couldn't within the walls of a large organization. Like what, how are you defining success for SE Venture? Yeah, so that, that's a very good question. So uh, some of these investments end up to be uh, majority owned and, and by Schneider Electric, but that's not the only path or definition of success. Just scaling these companies and growing with them and later on at any uh, next uh, milestone, whether IPO or uh, next rounds of investment where uh, the uh, SE Ventures as a corporate venture capital end up uh, get benefiting from the additional valuation is another way where we can uh, define this as a success. Uh, QMerit is one example where maybe a bit of a brief on, on QMerit, which is heavily uh, present in the uh, EV space. Uh, it's a digital platform that enables and empowers concurrent at scale distributed workforce management. Their key uh, application to working with a lot of the auto OEM, uh, auto OEMs is on uh, EV charging installations, but the platform is now doing a lot more as it relates to home electrifications of which EV charging is one. Uh, we had uh, a deep integration of that into uh, our prosumer strategy. And we uh, are driving and accelerating the installation of EV chargers in North America. Uh, about a year ago, we ended up uh, moving it from a portfolio company of SC Ventures to being majority owned by Schneider Electric. That's one path of, of success, which is not necessarily the only definition, uh, as I mentioned, which is what happened with other companies like EIQ, which was, uh, Schneider exited from this in the second uh, or third round of investment for that company. Gotcha. And, and Michael, I have a follow-up question, but do you have uh, any, anything to add to, so far based on what we've been talking about here? Yeah, I think, I mean, coming back to your point about why, why is Schneider in the e-mobility segment? And I think it's very natural for us. Um, a lot of people, when they look at electric mobility and EV charging infrastructure, they see the visible piece. And the visible piece is the charger, or it's the your app on your phone. And and everybody likes to talk about that, right? Because you can hug a charger when you buy one for your home and you can be proud and you can take a selfie and you can post and it's great. But what many people don't talk about is the rest of the complexity. And really half of the complexity is, is kind of below the waterline. And that's all of the energy management. That's all of the integration to the broader energy system. And that's, of course, all of the, the safety and protection. So at Schneider, that's our core business. I mean, our core business is energy management and electrical protection. So it's only natural for us uh, that we would enter into the uh, electric mobility charging infrastructure space. Hey, can, can you expand on those two points? So I, 
personally, I come from this perspective, and I think a lot of listeners too of more the the vehicle side, right? So, so my background is in supporting the development of electrified vehicles and components and such. And um, yeah, sure, I understand how the car that I have plugs into the <laughs> into into the wall and stuff. But like th- this topic that you're touching on is really interesting, and I don't think uh, many people really understand the nuts and bolts of what goes into this. So, can you expand on on those topics? Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I can even give my opinion as why most people don't talk about that because we're not at adoption at scale. So outside of your home and connecting an electric vehicle to your home, we really don't have large charging infrastructure in principle um, around. So um, first of all, when you connect your electric vehicle to your home, it instantly becomes in general, the largest appliance you have inside of your electrical system. So this requires you to have a good integration with your the rest of your electrical distribution or your panel board. If you have, for example, uh, um, you know, you're, you're nearing the capacity of your panel and then you plug in your car, you could, of course, have an outage. You want to avoid that. And you want to really balance the loads between your oven, you know, your hairdryer, your, your electric vehicle, if you have a pool or a heat pump or whatever. So this needs to be managed. And really, when you plug in that vehicle at home, you feel it instantly um, in, in the majority of cases. Now, at buildings, uh, no one really talks about it today because buildings today are largely absorbing loads. Uh, with the extra capacity they have built in. So today, when you connect, you know, one five ten electric vehicles to a building, you know, you can you can directionally absorb the load. But as you start to connect, you know, 100, 500, 1,000 EV chargers to your building, and all of those charge ar- cars arrive in the morning and want to charge, well, then you're going to have to revisit your entire electrical distribution and energy management. And that's where having integration to either the home energy management system, in the case of single-family home, or into the building energy management system because of essential. And, and, and today, nobody's talking about it because we're not at scale, you know, outside of Norway. But as we start to go to scale, you'll see this topic come up more and more, including this tighter integration between charging systems and then either home or building management systems. Yeah, just a silly anecdote, but I mean, I, I personally feel this relatively frequently in that, like, if I if I do happen to, so I, I work out in my, my garage, which is 30 degrees this morning, I have a little space heater in there and I go and I turn it on in the morning. And if the car isn't at a hundred percent charge already, I, I blow the circuit every single time and I have to, <laughs> I have to go and reset, reset the panel. So, and that's a, a super small, silly scale, but I could definitely see how when you, as you scale up at, at the building level, that this becomes so much more challenging. And so you need to be so much more intentional. And how do you think? Kyle, I'd be curious, like, how do you think about then finding the, the cutting edge at this at this space, right? So, like, yes, this is a topic that certainly we need to address. I think there's, I don't know, I've heard a few different theories about the importance of, of software and um, different ways to get around, you know, making the existing infrastructure work versus, hey, we need to have huge upgrades to the electrical infrastructure before we can actually make progress. But, like, how, how do you... How do you, I guess I sort through the noise and try to figure out like what, who are the, the companies and what is, can Schneider Electric be doing to innovate and provide real value in this space? Yeah, and, and I think just to go to your, uh, to your anecdote about uh, what happens when you're charging your vehicle and then you're adding the, the, uh, the heater. And this is really where, where the world of prosumer and e-mobility uh, come together. And this is where uh, a lot of the challenges that are being introduced to the grid, a lot of the uh, uh, bi-directional nature uh, that will later, uh, that some people are already going through, but it's going to be at scale, produce additional challenges. But it is really where there is also that opportunity. So I, I will label you as, as a, 
as a prosumer uh, to a certain extent, which is uh, uh, maybe it's not a term that I don't know who coined that, but that's a term we use where people are, uh, they produce, control, uh, and consume electricity. Uh, so the example that you have uh, with your uh, uh, electric vehicle, uh, whether you can start having bi-directional charging uh, where you can feed back to the grid at whatever periods of time uh, that helps uh, the grid manage the demand uh, and the peak periods. So you asked, how, how do you see this uh, like technology and software solving for this? This is where uh, the concept of uh, an, an actual businesses of virtual power plants come, can, can come into play, which allows the access to distributed energy resources at scale, whether your solar uh, installation, whether a storage or the battery in your vehicle, which are behind the meters for the utilities, can be aggregated and become a, uh, a certain peak capacity that the utilities can use uh, instead of firing a peaker plant at, uh, at the peak demand period that they face. Uh, having this in a controlled way, having this in a uh, easy on-demand uh, uh, path to the utilities to use is really what, what is the opportunity and the challenge today that we're working on. And yeah. uh, you, can, you can look at uh, different regulations in different uh, parts of the country where this is doable and it's happening now and others that are uh, following suit or uh, being put some regulations in place to make it work. Yeah, and if you take, go ahead, Mike, if you want to jump in on that. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, um, I think if we, if we also look at the charging habits, um, especially in the passenger vehicle segment, uh, we believe the charging habits will be different than what you think. And we think that in, in general, in the 90% of use cases that most passenger vehicles will charge when they stop versus stopping to charge as we do today with, with internal combustion engine vehicles, we stop to gas them up. And there's really three reasons for that. The first one is the range. So as the ranges of electric vehicles continue to increase, they start to solve more and more use cases. So let's take Europe, for example. In Europe, on average, uh, passenger vehicles travel around 1,500 kilometers per month. So if your vehicle reaches a range of five, 600 kilometers, and I'm not on the premium segment vehicle, I'm really talking about the mass market vehicles. It means in theory, right? Not in reality, but in theory, you only need to charge your vehicle up to a full charge three times per, per month. Now, if we, if we map that to the US, of course, the ranges are a bit further uh, with the average uh, US commute being 100 miles or less per day. Let's assume a range of three, 400 miles on a vehicle. It means still every three days is really when you, when you need to charge. So the first one is really on the necessity, right? As the ranges increase, it's not really imperative to stop the charge. You can charge when you stop. The second one, is on the cost. Uh, it's 20 to 50% cheaper to charge when you have a connection to a home or a building. And that's for a couple of reasons. First is the infrastructure itself. So the infrastructure, when you connect to your home, as you mentioned in your garage, or you're connecting to a building, you're leveraging more low voltage uh, distribution or AC technology. The second one is when you have a connection to a home or a building, you can manage with energy management and digital to avoid time of use tariffs or demand surcharges that may occur in, in certain uh, countries. And the last one is really, and we mentioned this before, is leveraging 
on-site connectivity to either on-site uh, photovoltaic generation or on-site storage. So when you combine all of that up, it's going to make charging at home or, or, or buildings 20 to 15%, uh, 20 to 50% cheaper. And the last one is convenience, right? Uh, nobody, nobody likes to stop to charge or to, 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 to put gas in the vehicle, but in the future, we won't, we won't have to. And if we follow that narrative, it means that homes and buildings become really the center of the charging ecosystem, meaning more electricity, more energy management. Now, it's not, it's not to say that we don't need, you know, in-transit charging, because we do for long-distance travel, for emergencies, for, you know, some use cases like, you know, salespeople, for example, covering large territories. But you're going to pay for that because you're going to pay for the energy to be available when you need it, no matter if it's the cheap time or the expensive time. And by the way, the infrastructure delivering that energy is going to be is going to be much more expensive than it would be at a building uh, or a home. So right. I think that, you know, looking, looking at that in the future, again, we need, we need public infrastructure, uh, but we need still much more focus on the home and building infrastructure where it's cheaper uh, and more convenient to, to charge. Yeah, and maybe a bit a on, on, on that also for the public charging infrastructure, the, the ability to, to roam between different providers today is, is really in its beginnings, where if you're not part of this, mm -hmm. whatever name it is, charging network, you can't use your, uh, your account with another one to use it. And how do you move into having this as a, instead of adding more infrastructure, using the infrastructure of charging in a more intelligent way uh, for everyone is, is, is part of the solution. Yep, and I think there's been some funny, uh, funny stories at least on Twitter I've seen of like you know Tesla stations that have been opened up, but then because of just the way they've been configured, they're useless once you introduce a like you, you see like an iPace parked at it, which blocks two two spots because the charger is in a different location or whatever. So like even in situations where we're trying to uh, trying to make things more accessible, it's not as easy as maybe it, it seems on the surface. But I, I want to continue this this thread, but Mike, I'd, I'd be curious to, to dig a little deeper on one, one of kind of the key assumptions of, of your thought of kind of the range steadily increase, increasing over time. And I'd, I'd be curious to dig a deep, a touch deeper here of, so I th there, there is also a case out there that at least for a subset of vehicles, potentially as charging becomes more available and people are charging, especially in situations, suburban areas where you're charging at home, potentially there's the opportunity as you can rely more often on on that charging infrastructure that you you actually need reduced range maybe the 300 mile range that we have is is more than you need and i don't know we could get down to 150 200 depending on how you're using it and that's uh but as you're if you're charging it over every night or every day then and at work then yeah that that works for you what's your thought i mean is there any credence to that line of thinking in your case and if so um do you see kind of just a it's application specific depending on on the user where some people will want the long range vehicle some people will be happier with a shorter range vehicle how, how do you see that playing out well i think it's really driven by the economics and it's driven by the economics of the largest cost component of an electric vehicle which is of course the the battery right mm -hmm. so in most cases the lithium ion storage and and of course we've seen those battery cost curves coming down right 90% over the last years and if you do the math, it says that as the, the cost of the lithium, lithium ion battery gets to around 100 US dollars per kilowatt hour, then the OEMs or the car manufacturers can offer uh, the acquisition price or the purchase price of vehicles at parity or same cost with internal combustion vehicles. So I don't think necessarily that it's going to be about having um, 
cars with different ranges. I'm much more looking at the efficiency, the cost efficiency of the battery, as well as the electrical distribution efficiency in the vehicle. I think these are going to outpace the need to have different classes of vehicles in terms of ranges. So the the expectation then kind of underlying that would be that, you know, we, we get better at mining materials and we're able to get enough battery materials where that, that cost curve does continue to go down and, and doesn't level up, which, which is certainly possible. I think that's a, it's an interesting game to play of how, how that is actually going to play out in the, in the coming years, though. Yeah, it's, it's not even just about the mining itself. It's also the way that we understand, for example, the state of charge of batteries. Um, you know, you know, there's so, some companies actually that we've invested in um, with Schneider, um, Schneider Ventures, where we're able to actually use ultrasound technology to have a better understanding of the vehicle uh, state of charge. Today, directionally, there's an extra 20% because we don't know exactly how much is charged. So companies like Titan AES, which was an SEV uh, investment, has this technology to better understand the state of charge. So again, there's going to be things about efficiency in vehicles, better states of charge. So again, overall, when you combine all of this, I think this is going to be the more deciding factor versus having different vehicles with different ranges. Yeah, that, that's a good point too, because there there is, as you mentioned, a different path to that outcome, which is you know technology improves, whether it's battery chemistries, as you mentioned, being smarter, being more efficient on the vehicle, like all those things would, would drive up range, obviously, and, and make it more more realistic for long range for everyone. So thinking of, so we, we were talking a bit about this, this infrastructure, right, of, and so if we think about kind of like the, the ideal situation, at least for the, for the grid in my mind, like you, you think about, you have consumers, are you able to use battery packs as this, um, this decentralized storage for energy and utilize it for um, grid capacity as you need it, that you might even bolster that with other areas. I mean, there's just several companies looking at, you know, the, the large storage units that can be used temporary storage that go in and out. You pair that with, you know, your ideally a distributed energy generation with renewables rather than kind of the traditional centralized coal power plants. Uh, so like that, and I'm, I'm not covering all of it, that represents like this ideal state in the future. Where, where do you see, what do you guys see as like the the challenges to get to that state and where, where do you see as like the biggest opportunities in the short term here to make meaningful progress on the electrical infrastructure side? Yeah. So, and, and I think uh, pockets of this or elements of this are already a reality, right? And I, I don't necessarily think this is in the distant future. And for me, the key driver that will get to, to all of this, what I, what I'm labeling as the, prosumer business to be at scale and contributing to a net zero solution is simplicity, is removing the friction that already exists today in the process. If, if you go through, uh, starting from a point of, you, you can enter this, this world from different entry points, whether you want to start with a renewable source of energy as your solar installation, or you want to add uh, storage to your, to, your, uh, to your home. And I'm going to keep the the, the examples here on, on the resi side. To go through getting educated, uh, selecting the best technology, uh, the best installer, uh, the best price or best value, and then later on enrolling in the different utility programs or the best utility programs that are available for you uh, and benefit from uh, the tax uh, uh, benefits and the incentives from the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Today, it's a complex process. So removing that friction 
getting it uh, and, and easy for uh, people like you and me to go through that journey is for me is the best accelerator to get us to uh, having these distributed energy stores at scale being used efficiently to solve uh, the challenges of a consumer in terms of getting cost savings, energy savings while being sustainable, but for the utilities to address their grid uh, challenges uh, and uh, manage them on their own, also a carbon emissions challenge. Uh, so anyone who can remove that friction in that whole process is going to be an active and serious contributor to that solution. And these elements exist today uh, and combinations of them are proving successful, but it's still not seamless end to end. Gotcha. Yeah. And then Mike, any, anything to add there? Yeah, just to add, I mean, that, that's a great example uh, that Khaled gave on the, on the residential side, but the same applies um, at the building side. And, and we just could give an example of these technologies already existing today. Uh, in the U.S. and Montgomery County, we've done recently with one of our customers a 5.6 megawatt, megawatt um, microgrid, right? So that's on-site generation, on-site storage, including two megawatts of charging for electric buses. And ultimately, you know, Montgomery County is moving to 100% renewable. I think, um, so the technologies are there today. Uh, to Khaled's point, there's a lot of friction to figuring them out, but, but at least from a technology point of view, it already exists. Now it's a matter of how do we get these deployed into residential uh, applications, into uh, homes. And there's a lot of things to solve. You know, one thing, and Khaled mentioned that, most people don't talk about the installation itself and the labor. Uh, one of the critical resources moving forward for this electrification, whether it's at home or at buildings, is having skilled labor available to install these uh, systems, which are not standard, right? These are complex. So labor needs to be upskilled, it needs to be trained, and we need to have qualified electricians bringing quality installations. But this can quickly become the bottleneck for electrification, not so much technology being available, but really having skilled labor to do those installations. Is that an area where you've th seen any innovations or any anything that can really help move the needle? Well, absolutely. I mean, we, we mentioned a, com a company earlier called uh, Qmerit. Mm -hmm. And Qmerit is very interesting because they're linking uh, supply and demand, right? They're a platform. So they're linking the critical resource, which is the skilled labor with the demand, which is the purchase of an electric vehicle and I need an installation. So if you live in the US and, and you purchase an electric vehicle, uh, odds are when you go online to uh, to your OEM website and you want to book an installation or even buy a charger, uh, you're actually being served by Qmerit uh, on the back end. And you may or may not see that, but Qmerit is there to do the installations. So they've, Qmerit has really done a great job from a platform point of view to figure out linking the supply engine in really at scale, right, across the U.S. So that's, that's one way where, you know, Khaled mentioned friction. How do we remove friction? This is one example in easing that process of, for consumers, especially who don't know what is a kilowatt? What's a panel board? What do I need? What's a circuit breaker? How many kilowatts do I need at home? Having this, um, you know, skilled service behind it is one of these ways to remove friction. Uh, yeah. Tell, and any I'll, other I'll, case studies? Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, so I'll, I'll add uh, to that. I mean, that the, so Qmart is definitely a, a great example here. But if you also, um, a lot of times when people uh, are, are getting electric vehicle, uh, the installation is not as simple as, installing the EV charger at home because there is sometimes panel upgrade that needs to happen because you've increased the load. And as, as Mike mentioned, it will be the largest appliance. And so up to 40% of your load becomes uh, your, your EV uh, uh, charging. Uh, and then the, there, there is 
technologies where you can uh, like using AI taking pictures of your of your panel board and knowing from the beginning throughout before the start of the installation process the different use of the different breakers and the capacity and should there be an upgrade or not uh, and and that that's something that we are working on and that you, you will all hear about uh, uh, soon but like recommendation engines that make the installation easier that makes the time the limited time and availability of these electricians who will come to the house more effective so that they can do more installations in a given period of time betcha yeah that's interesting and yeah and, and more effective even you know by avoiding um costly service visits so many times you call the electrician they need to send buddy out you know take a look what do you have it's inefficient so to go point with digital tools we can really make this a much more efficient process which is to make it faster ultimately cheaper for everyone and more efficient so so really a lot of interesting innovations that can come on areas you know around installation that most consumers don't really think about and I guess maybe just real quick going back to the anecdote I mentioned. So just maybe this was already clear to someone, uh, an astute listener, but so it's, it's a plug-in um, hybrid that I have. So it's a level one charger that I have that's, that's tied into the circuit. And that's the reason why the, the uh, yeah, the, the space heater blows that, that particular breaker. But I mean, part of the reason why I have an upgrade to the level two charger is one, I mean, I only have a 15 kilowatt hour battery pack, so it's, it works well enough, but also, yeah, the cost and complexity of, of making that upgrade versus the, the benefit so far hasn't made sense for, for me, but maybe maybe that changes over time. Um, Kyle, I'd be curious, you mentioned at the beginning joint ventures, which we haven't been able to touch on so far. It, could you share a bit more about what that looks like so far? Uh, sure. So the, the two uh, main joint ventures that you will see, I mean, and, and maybe build on the example Mike mentioned, uh, Montgomery uh, uh, County is a alpha structure uh, uh, project that was done in, in collaboration with Montgomery County. Uh, and the joint venture is between Schneider Electric and the Carlyle Group, uh, where Schneider provide the, the technology, the know-how, et cetera. And working with uh, Carlyle, that joint venture can move away from you as, as, a, as a county, as a, a commercial entity from investing in your microgrid uh, with a capital expenditure to actually uh, buying a kilowatt capacity or kilowatt hours. So it moves away your capital investment and bringing the best of uh, the technology that Schneider has so that you can get your, uh, your uh, microgrid in place and you pay for it over the use of, of the life of that project. This helps these uh, customers with their renewable and carbon uh, reduction journey. Uh, based on the source of the uh, of generation for the microgrid, but also with the resiliency in terms of disruption uh, to their grid, uh, and and in terms of uh, their ability to contribute uh, to uh, to the challenges within the communities that they are in, in terms of relieving the utility from certain demands or contributing back in terms of uh, giving back to the utility in peak and in, in periods when they're producing more than their own consumption. Uh, that's can one example. Say, yeah, on, on that one, can you say a bit more, like who who's the end customer for a solution like this or, or what, what might uh, they look it, like? 
It, so in, in the Montgomery uh, County, the, the the bus depot uh, is is the is the in the is is the customer in this but one. But if you expand out to it, you... it could be any any commercial entity, industrial uh, site that requires microgrids. So it's it's providing energy as a service, not so much as microgrid as a service. Uh, but at the core of it is that microgrid solution. So you can think of uh, retail chains uh, in different parts of the country. You can think of uh, industrial plants. You can think of, I mean, Schneider Electric, uh, one of our uh, campuses has uh, a microgrid that's provided uh, in a similar uh, setup. So uh, the, the it's not for residential, but it's for everything else uh, in the commercial industrial building space, as well as uh, with uh, uh, government uh, and, and as I mentioned, the uh, example of Montgomery County. And I, I think this is a ignorant question, but I'm going to ask ask it anyway. So, so when I've been talking about microgrids, I in my mind, so I've been mining and construction and those kind of like temporary places where you're putting significant power demands. That's that's where I've typically thought in my own mind when I'm talking microgrids, kind of where we're trying to put in these areas that aren't easily serviced by the existing kind of core electrical infrastructure. But this this example that you're giving is a different example and it sounds like maybe a more widespread one. So what is it really just is is it these areas where this just a sudden increase in demand for some reason, whether it's the option of or the adoption of electric vehicles or or something else. So like what what's the key driver that would require someone to want this local microgrid? I uh, know so so it's so it's absolutely not for a temporary use only, right? So this mm-hmm. can be uh, this can be in an islanded mode where it's the only source when you disconnect from the utility, you're providing it through your microgrid, but they live hand in hand with the a grid connection, uh, and they contribute to you as as a as an end customer in terms of managing the cost of your electricity using some of what you consume and feeding back what's needed. It also helps in resiliency in case of grid disruptions, but also in terms of uh, sustainability uh, and uh, and uh, driving for your uh, car- decarbonization uh, uh, targets. Uh, so it is definitely not only for remote areas and or for temporary uh, periods mm-hmm. of time, although they do actually have that as an application as well. Yeah. Anything further to add there, Mike? Yeah. Let's just take the EV application. So let's imagine that we're we're in a building. It's Monday morning, and you know my 100 employees arrive at the building, and they've decided not to charge at home for whatever reason, and they all plug in. Um, so we can quickly have an overconsumption on the building. We can exceed our uh, uh, demand surcharge contract that we have with our utility. So we can run into a lot of problems. Now leveraging a microgrid. Uh, can alleviate these peak demands and avoid uh, avoid both outages and peak demand surcharges. So just imagine that, you know, we've been charging the local on-site storage at our office building over the weekend. Uh, vehicles come in, we're able to charge them from the local storage that exists. Or imagine that, um, you know, it's um, it's the opposite, right? Khaled mentioned bidirectional charging. So now it's a Tuesday morning and the vehicles arrive all charged and the building is low on energy. So now we transfer the energy from the vehicles to the building. So there's a lot you can do to play to play with that, but really that's gonna help, you know, again, we're not in an island mode, but we can help mm-hmm. avoid two things. One is, you know, costly uh, demand surcharges, but the second is upgrades, right? How do we avoid upgrading the service to a building, upgrading all of the electrical distribution in a building? 
because those upgrades are expensive and they take a long time and utilities don't like to do them. So leveraging microgrids in this case, nothing to do with Ilamone, purely about economics, avoiding surcharge and avoiding um, expensive building uh, service upgrades. And how about Kyle, anything to add from your, your, your second joint venture to this, uh, this topic? Uh, so it, it is it is similar with a with a different uh, target size of microgrid or or megawatt capacity. Uh, so so that it has really national coverage uh, across the the country, and uh, uh, there is a uh, use cases and targeted customers uh, for that are different between the two different uh, uh, joint ventures that we have but it's basically the same model, selling megawatts uh, capacity and or megawatt hours. Gotcha, yeah, cool cool space. And like I said, not an area that I really under understood and I'm sure, certainly not an expert there even even now, but I, I think this is help, helpful, at least for me to understand kind of the, the role that microgrids can play and what that might look like. So that's, yeah, I'm glad, glad we were able to touch on that topic. Uh, maybe just a, a few, few kind of clo closing questions here. So one, one kind of just a personal curiosity thing and mentioned before that I've been in sales and marketing for various mobility companies. And um, Kyle, I'd be curious, especially with innovation on the edge, like how, how do you think about, I mean, this is an established company, Schneider Electric, who's evolving, right? And trying to to be more cutting edge, more tech. I mean, you've been technology forward, right? As an organization, but now it's it looks a little different with how the uh, the industry is evolving so rapidly. Can Can you share anything about what the approaches look like to position you, you, yourselves as kind of the, the technology leader that, that you are and strive to continue to be? Uh, so I think I, I touched a bit on this and it's really about uh, continue the, uh, the historical uh, innovation and curiosity that happens within the core of the businesses, uh, the R and D spend, the, uh, the different uh, uh transitions or 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 advancements we're making on the software side regardless whether this is for uh, for uh, mobility or not and complement and uh, add to that with the external view and that's why why we call it innovation at the edge where we are uh, where we are driving the innovation within at the core and also partnering incubating investing uh, in, uh, the, in, with external companies, startups, uh, and creating the right partnerships so that we can always be uh, at the forefront of uh, this fast evolving technology development and to help address these challenges in multiple ways than just within the core. Yeah, yeah, it make, makes sense. I appreciate that. And so taking a uh... Taking a quick left turn, and then we'll we'll come back and and wrap up. But I, I like to uh, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, talking with with people, guests on the podcast at, at the cutting edge, leading organizations who are are making a huge impact in the mobility space. Um, what what are kind of the key the key resources that have been had an influence in years? And I, I specifically, are, are there any any book or books or anything that you've read? So it could be personal, it could be professional, it could be about electrification, it could be science fiction or whatever you like no no bounds on that but maybe mike mike starting with you um anything that you can think of that has had a significant impact on you through the years yeah absolutely i mean i'm following a lot of a lot of different people here but there's one that was really probably had the most profound impact was um a book called clean disruption and it's probably from 2014 somewhere in this range written by a guy named tony siba 
Uh, and, and Tony was really uh, a forward thinker in terms of how EV adoption would come and when and why. So if you haven't read Clean Disruption, I'd really encourage you to go out there and even follow Tony because he's bringing out more material every year. He's starting now to get into some of the areas besides you know, uh, uh, electric vehicles, but, but he, he is somebody that I follow personally and Clean Disruption would be one I recommend. Great. Yeah, Kyle, how about from your perspective? Uh, so uh, there's uh, maybe a couple of books that I keep on going back to. So now I have a gap book when I'm not reading anything, I'm reading Animal Farm over and over by George Orwell, but that's a different uh, topic. But really one that resonates and is very clear to my, my current mandate is uh, Lead and Disrupt, which is about corporate innovation. It's about creating uh, new businesses within an established and very successful setup and how you make that work. And it's by Charles O'Reilly and uh, Mike Tishman. I actually started with a, attended a class with them. And this is something that I always go back to uh, and find some, some new ideas of, of making sure that we are doing the right things or actually learning. And I'm in direct contact with Mike Tishman on that. And the other one is about uh, is Unleashed. Uh, it's about... Uh, uh, leadership where it's not about you as a leader, it's about the people that are around you. And, and it's, it's an interesting aspect and that's by uh, Francis Frey. Great. So yeah, clean disruption, lead and disrupt, unleashed and animal farm. The, the <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so th thanks, thanks for the time here. I, it's been, been a pleasure speaking with, with both of you guys. And like I said, lear learning and hearing about how Schneider electric is, is approaching this, uh, this, this transformation um clo closing thoughts so i guess i'll open it up what what are you hoping i guess one is there anything blatant that we missed here that you're hoping to cover or uh kind of independent of that what, what are you hoping that someone listening to this takes away from the conversation uh just one thing from my side is that this is not about the future uh the technology that we're we need is already here it's already available and it's about moving that friction and it's about executing these technologies at scale. Uh, so people not to be thinking that uh, this is what we will do in a year, two, two years, et cetera. The time to act is, is actually now and the technology is there to support it. Yeah, I, I like that. And that's a theme that's come up a couple of times, the importance of removing the friction and adoption here. And uh, yeah, Mike, how about you said anything you're hoping someone takes away from this conversation? Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, it's only inevitable and it's only a matter of time. And we're talking years, not decades, when electric vehicles are going to be cheaper uh, to purchase. They're already cheaper to own and operate, but in the future, they'll be cheaper to purchase an internal combustion engine. Um, so it's the future. And uh, in the future, if you want to continue to drive a gas guzzler, you're going to have to pay a premium for that. So, and most of us aren't going to want to do that for many reasons, including the environment. So I would, I would encourage those of you that haven't yet dri driven an electric vehicle, you know, you probably have a friend who has one by now, or you know somebody who knows somebody who has one, rent one for the week weekend, borrow one for the weekend, and try and, and remove some of these anxieties that are there about owning an electric vehicle. And I think what you'll find, at least in my own experience, is they're, they're much more fun to drive. You actually don't charge them every night like you charge your phone, right? You only charge it really when you need it. Uh, and they're really a pleasure. So I would really encourage everyone to, to, to go try and drive an EV if they haven't yet. And I think you'll find that uh, it's not as scary as you think. Yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate it. And uh, best luck to you guys. Thank you. 
Thank you, Brandon. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Khaled Fakuri and Mike Ducliff. So what stands out? I think fun discussion, very interesting. I definitely learned some things. Um, the first thing, I mean, it's always interesting to me to hear how a large, established, successful company is pivoting, thinking about, you know, the mobility and energy space right now, dynamic, right? We're working on decarbonization in many different forms. Obviously, electric vehicles has a big role there. How are these companies thinking about innovating and building on the legacy of innovation and technology leadership? And how do you find the right mix between doing things in-house, investing externally in startups who have some inherent advantage, right, in the innovation sense and the ability to move quickly and do things that um, fall outside traditional bounds, joint ventures, and more like that. So I really enjoyed picking these guys' brain, thinking about what that actually looks like. Um, Enjoyed getting the perspective of how they see EV adoption and charging infrastructure evolving. And then the one thing we we talked about, touched on this uh, um, in some detail, but the idea of microgrids and the joint ventures they have really evolved my thinking of the benefit there as we think about charging an energy infrastructure and the importance of having additional infrastructure in place in different ways in which we have this possibly decoupled from the existing grid. I, as I mentioned during the discussion previously, I just thought about this for hard to reach applications. So things like a, a mining application or construction or forestry or something, um, kind of where, yeah, it's, it's hard to get to, but no, there's, there's benefit. And we talked about a few specific examples here. Um, even in the heart of areas with existing infrastructure of having a decoupled microgrid setup. So fun discussion here. I, I hope you, hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah. With that said, thank you for listening. And uh, as always, more to come next week. Thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.